This is everything you want to know about non-clinical careers for physicians. At Third Evolution, I'm your host, Robert Pretty. Is your medical practice patient-centered, or is it perhaps staff-centered, or what about being physician-centered? My guess is that most of you nodded your heads when I said patient-centered. Some probably raised an eyebrow when I said staff-centered, and some wondered, what do you mean when I said physician-centered? My hypothesis is that all medicine, all medical practice should be physician-centered. Here's why. The nucleus of the physician-centered practice concept is simply this, one physician and one patient. Physicians are knowledge workers. Does it surprise you to hear this? Well, probably not, but do you know that knowledge workers are a defined work group? Thomas H. Davenport, an author in his book called Thinking for a Living, How to Get Better Performance and Results from Knowledge Workers, uses this definition, quote, knowledge workers have high degrees of expertise, education, or experience, and the primary purpose of their jobs involves the creation, distribution, or application of their knowledge. So for the record, physicians are most certainly knowledge workers, and I'm sure you are comfortable considering yourself by that definition. The question is, how do physicians get better performance and results? Davenport answers that question through a discussion of understanding knowledge workers' very unique needs and then building their jobs around them. I believe the way to accomplish that for physicians is what I have termed the physician-centered practice. The very use of this term, physician-centered practice, may cause some angst, It certainly has in the past when I've presented this to journals and publications for for print. And I've seen that angst both among physicians as well as ancillary individuals in your office or your corporation. After all, isn't healthcare's goal to be patient-centered? Patient-centered is the most overused and perhaps most poorly defined phrase in healthcare. I consider it right up there with this phrase, Your call is important to us. Please hold. Which is probably exactly what your phone system says to patients calling your office. But I digress. Let's begin by describing and discussing the physician-centered practice. As knowledge workers, physicians are at the top of the food chain in their practices. Other staff certainly have focused expertise and are absolutely necessary to the success and well-being of the practice, but if clinical expertise and the use and delivery of clinical knowledge is the chief product of the practice and the physician is the critical agent of that knowledge, then the physician is the center of the practice. At least that's how it would be in any other business or industry. Unfortunately, Clinical expertise in the use and delivery of clinical knowledge are not always considered a practice's chief product. That's where the conflict begins. Situationally, numerous other people or tasks take center stage, and absent clear focus on the chief product's definition, practices become derailed. The more frequently this occurs, the more generally dysfunctional the practice becomes and the greater the need to refocus on the physician. You know the old saying you hear during football season about returning to the basics of blocking and tackling. It's the same in a dysfunctional business. 
return to the basics. And in the beginning, there was only a physician. Therefore, the physician-centered practice focuses everyone in the practice on creating an environment, and I should say creating and supporting an environment, whereby physician knowledge can best be delivered based on the individual needs of each physician. Critical to implementation is recognizing this is not a one-size-fits-all approach. Much like examining a patient, the process may be consistent, but implementation components are unique. Once this is accomplished, those situational issues, the outliers, the bumps in the road, the aberrant patient, they're handled much more effectively and consistently. Think of this simply as the nucleus of clinical practice. Again, one physician and one patient. Everything else builds from, emanates from that relationship. This is a challenging point of departure, especially for physicians who've seen their authority, their credibility, and their value eroded over the past two to three decades. It's challenging to, to go back to the basics, the elemental forces of medicine. The driver is not the payer, it's not the formulary, it's not the administrator, and the product is not volume. The physician is no longer an interchangeable commodity, a cyborg functioning mechanically to produce a process. But rather, in a physician-centered practice, the physician is a knowledge worker charged with complex fact-gathering, analysis, and treatment. Supporting the development of this new paradigm are five components. They're the elemental building blocks of the physician-centered practice. Number one, defining and measuring physician needs. Number two, creating physician-centered staff responsibilities. Number three, developing mutual expectations from and for patients. Number four, affecting operational strategies and processes to support the physician, the staff, and the patient. And number five, implementing financial procedures to pay for all of those things. You've heard me say this before, form follows finance. So whatever we do, it has to be paid for. So let's talk about defining and measuring physician needs. This component requires the most explanation for two reasons. First, this is an area universally overlooked in terms of practice management, practice improvement, and other organizational and development approaches to change. Second, knowing and satisfying physician need is the basis for addressing all other practice needs and objectives in the physician-centered practice. And third, and perhaps most importantly, U.S. physicians consistently believe practice cannot be changed. They believe they are expected, if not required, to constantly adapt their own needs and their own interests to those of a sponsoring organization, other practice members, or the whims of ancillary staff, or worse yet, the outcome of some patient satisfaction survey or one-off complaint. While discussions of needs can range between the abstract and the situational, individuals' behaviorally defined work needs are really neither. Numerous studies have proven that we each have highly definable work needs falling into various categories. Berkman International, a Houston-based firm with an international following, specializes in assessing behavioral work needs. 
The Berkman Organization has developed an instrument to categorize, measure, and define individual work needs that is highly adaptable to medical practice. Using such an instrument, physicians can identify and measure their very specific work needs along functional categories. These categories can then be interpreted to develop strategies, expectations, processes, policies, and procedures to manage staff communications and responsibilities, office practice, workflows, and processes, and to provide a framework for creating expectations of patients and to establish and manage patients' expectations of the practice and the physician. This type of work-focused behavior data serves as the very foundation for the physician-centered practice. The broad brush of physician needs is strategy. What should be the practice's general tone, tenor, and orientation? The same needs-based analysis and data are used in operational situations as well, such as creating patient visit schedules, determining the appropriate billing reports, and the types of production information needed to communicate necessary information, and in establishing staff responsibilities and expectations. Using such measurable data to drive the development of formal policies and procedures removes much of the ambiguity from physician practices. And ambiguity is one of the greatest causes of frustration for physicians, for staff, and for patients as well. Now let's talk about creating physician-centered staff responsibilities. If staff is helping the knowledge worker, the physician, meet his or her needs, Then through the physician's enhanced effectiveness, the chief product of the practice, clinical knowledge and patient care will improve. While you wouldn't describe your staff's primary role as simply making you happy, they must meet or help you meet your needs for you to be effective, and effectiveness breeds happiness. Therefore, physicians' need-based criteria should be at the top of the list on your staff's job descriptions. That begs the most basic question, what do you need from each specific staff member? Job descriptions tend to be somewhat rambling assemblings taken from other people's experiences, web templates, or your attorney's rendition of what's legal. The reality is that, yes, you certainly need to have a legal blessing on any document that represents a contract with another person. You also need to determine the three to five most critical tasks or functions you want that person to perform or accomplish. And you need to define it to the level of detail to which you expect it to be performed. Think of it this way. You may want your lead nursing staff to room each patient. Is quote-unquote rooming enough? Even if the process is being done to your satisfaction, you should still specify how it is to be done. That staff person may not work with you forever, and the next person's definition of rooming may be very different, and different enough, certainly, to cause you considerable frustration. Don't wait for problems to emerge. Head them off with clearly and precisely defined job duties and roles for each staff person, and update those duties and responsibilities as often as necessary based on your opinion of what's working and what's not working. Next, let's talk about developing mutual expectations from and for your patients. Yes, you should have expectations of your patients and how they interact with you and your staff, and they should also have expectations of you. In each direction of that relationship, 
you must be in the forefront in defining the expectations. If physicians or practices clearly define for patients their needs and their expectations, most patients will want to and will try to comply. And if patients are adequately helped to present their own needs and their expectations to physicians in the practice, then the physicians and or the practice can effectively address them. However, again, both physicians' expectations and patient expectations are wrapped in the cloak of the physician's needs. The next element of the physician-centered practice to address is creating or affecting operational strategies and processes to support you, the physician, the staff, and the patient. Now that physician needs are known, and these needs have been translated into a more effective definition of staff responsibilities and operational processes, be certain you have committed the resulting policies, processes, and procedures to paper. Using physician need data to create effective documentation further removes ambiguity from the practice and creates a platform for operational and strategic consistency and continuity. There's another interesting book I read some years ago. It was called The E-Myth Revisited, and its author is Michael E. Gerber. The E-Myth Revisited is a how-to book cloaked in a story about a small business person's effort to establish and grow her business. Well, medical practice is a small business. My initial premise that the nucleus of medical practice is one physician and one patient goes to that point. Gerber's book encourages this business owner to document everything she does under the premise that she can't grow if she alone must be responsible for every ongoing operational aspect of her business. In medical practice, while no one can practice medicine but you, the physician, having practice management and practice support needs clearly defined, stated, and memorialized so that others can do them is the only way you can grow or the only way you can have the time and focus that you need. And excellent documentation is the only way to prevent every staff change, and we all know staff turnover in medical practices is an issue. It's the only way to keep staff changes from making you feel you just keep starting over. You just have to keep reinventing the wheels that move your practice every time a staff change occurs. Now, let's talk about implementing financial procedures to pay for everything that's involved in creating a physician-centered practice. Form follows finance. It's something an old friend said to me one day, and I've never forgotten it. One of the greatest barriers to change is the belief we can't afford to change. Therefore, not only must a practice's financial house be in order, it likewise must be built to support the physician's needs in terms of total income and how that income is derived. Medical practices are probably among the easiest businesses from which to embezzle. I know, in my practice management years, I've had way too many experiences in having to dismiss staff that thought it far too easy to slip their hands into the practice cookie jar. But the hedge against theft is relatively simple, and it is the same hedge against mismanagement and the same hedge for the most frequent reason for poor financial performance, physicians simply ignoring their finances. So first, you need appropriate checks and balances. Second, know where your money is. 
create or have created for you daily, weekly, monthly, and period-to-date reports that clearly and easily differentiate your gross and net billings, your collections, your adjustments, and your AR. Those are the very basics. And high-quality advisors to make sure your financial house is in order and meet your needs are pretty easy to find. Conversely, high-quality consultants to reshape the culture of your practice to make it physician-centered, well, not so much. So let's close by talking about how the physician-centered practice is different. The physician-centered practice differs from every other practice management or practice development process in three key ways. First, it's predicated on scientifically derived objective behavioral data as the foundation for shaping and building your practice. And just as physicians use a combination of objective and subjective information for diagnosing patients, that same model is followed in diagnosing the physician's work and practice needs. Second, the physician-centered practice approach is individually and internally focused. What I mean by that is physicians or practices aren't expected to comply with some outside parameter as a measure of success. All OBGYNs, all internists, or all orthopedists, they won't follow the same path to success. Their individual needs will determine their best pathways, both the very definitions of success and the changes required to achieve success are individual. And third, the physician-centered practice establishes literally a lifelong strategic and operational practice framework. Behaviorists have determined that human work needs are quite static after reaching maturity. And although the means to satisfy needs may change, the end targets remain consistent. Therefore, unlike the practice management method du jour, the physician-centered practice, once established, represents a consistent strategic course, a consistent set of objectives for physicians and staff to follow. So how can you turn your practice into a physician-centered practice? Take the first steps by defining your own work needs. Although the easiest way to do this is to engage a consultant with both the necessary tools and experience to guide you in this process, you can also perform some self-diagnosis. In determining your work needs, look to underlying pathologies of both happiness and frustration. Do scheduling mix-ups really set you off? Are you happiest having a casual lunch with your staff? Do you always want more financial data than your billing staff provides? Then ask yourself if those reactions are indicative of needs met or needs unmet. Then, how do you shape them into new operational methods? In other words, how do you turn them into written policies and procedures that you and your staff can follow? Finally, as we began this conversation, it's not trendy today to not be considered patient-centric or patient-centered. However, if understanding patients' needs and finding ways to better satisfy them and helping patients understand how better to communicate with you and you with them is the core of the patient-centered practice, then the physician-centered practice meets those requirements and more. Most everyone would agree that far too many so-called patient-centered programs are just that, cookbook-derived programs comprised of do's and don'ts. Whereas, according to Thomas Davenport, knowledge workers 
like autonomy. They would like autonomy as to the detailed processes they follow in doing their work. Unfortunately, patient-centered programs generally remove that autonomy. While the physician-centered practice uses your individuality as its foundation and builds on it. The objective of the physician-centered practice hinges on developing a practice more responsive to you, the physician. Happy physicians lead to happy staffs and happy and satisfied patients. Patients come and go. Staff, well, they change with some regularity, but you are in your practice for as long as it exists. Shouldn't your practice fit you? If you'd like more information about the physician Center practice or any other topic we cover in Non-Clinical Careers for Physicians, contact me at 720-339-3585. That's voice, message, or text. Until next time, this is Robert Pretty for Third Evolution. Thanks for listening.